As we continue on with our worship service, if you'll reach for your Bibles with me for today's scripture reading, and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11. We're going to buckle up today and read 44 verses, so well worth it, well worth it. John chapter 11, starting in verse 1, we'll be reading through verse 44. If you need a Bible, there's a pew Bible located in front of you. You can find today's scripture reading on page 1066. John 11, starting in verse 1, follow along as I read. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he had heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called a twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. 
Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Father, we come, we humbly come before you. Lord, servant king, we worship you today in song. We worship you today in your word. Father, as we continue in this worship service, open our hearts to you. Speak to each person here, no matter where they are in life, no matter what they have done. You are victorious. In your name I pray, amen. The tomb is empty. The Lord has risen and Jesus is alive. We have a reason to hope. In fact, more than any other holiday, Easter is about hope. And we feel the need for that hope more than ever against the backdrop of so much death in our world. In fact, there's no mistaking it. These last two years have smacked us up the side of the head with that very reality. Death is a reality that no one can escape. Death looms over each of us like a shadow. I mean, just think of these last two years with COVID-related deaths. The statistics are rather staggering. In fact, uh, as they try to estimate that, according to the latest data, over one million people have died in the United States and over Six million people have died worldwide. We see these stats, we hear these stats so often, it's hard not to grow numb to those stats. The sheer size of those numbers can begin to dwarf the individual stories behind each person who has died just in the last two years. What does it even mean when you're just one in six million? It seems the larger the number, the harder it is to even feel empathy. But those who have lost a loved one are anything but numb. Listen, the loss of just one human being is devastating to those loved families, those people who have lost loved ones. Now, as we continue this morning... In our series, Encounters with Jesus, I want to share with you a story of two sisters. These two sisters knew all about the sorrow of death when they lost their dear brother. He didn't die in a pandemic. In fact, he didn't even die in a war such as even many people have died already in the Ukrainian war. We don't even know how this brother died. John, who writes this encounter in the Gospel of John, doesn't tell us how he died. But when he died, these two sisters were devastated with grief. However, this is an Easter story. 
And so it's a story of hope. It is a story of how Jesus conquered death for this brother and did so as a preview of how he conquered death for all of us here this morning when he rose from the grave on that first Easter morning. This encounter here in John 11, it involves two sisters, a dead brother and Jesus Christ. And in this specific encounter, it shows us that Jesus triumphs over death to provide life for everyone who believes in him. These two sisters, Martha and Mary, they have a plan, though. They have a plan to save their brother when he became sick. They're confident that their plan will work, but it doesn't. And then they come face to face with the one person who could have made that plan work, but he didn't. And now they are struck with grief. They are pain-ridden. They are devastated over the death, death of their brother. But it's in the midst of their broken hearts that they see something about Jesus for the first time. They learn that Jesus has something much bigger, something much better than their plan, they learn that Jesus triumphs over death to provide life. And so in this encounter, what we also see is that Jesus reaffirms his love to these two sisters. He reaffirms his care for these sisters. And most of all, he reaffirms his power, which is what we need most in the midst of sorrow and suffering even today. So let me share this story with you. Notice the first thing we learn here is that when our plans fail, Jesus still loves us. When our plans fail, Jesus still loves us. Notice what it says in John chapter 11. I hope you have your Bibles open. If not, I encourage you to reach for those Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, take one of the pew Bibles and open it to John 11 and follow along in this encounter. Hear from God's word. Notice what it says in verse 11. Now a certain man was ill, or he was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And we then immediately learn in verse 2 that Mary is the one who poured this expensive perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. And so these two women, let me tell you, they love Jesus Christ. And they know that Jesus loves them. There's no doubt about it. In fact, they have a very special relationship with Jesus. And so these sisters come up with a plan to save their brother Lazarus because they love him. The sisters sent a message to Jesus saying in verse 3, Lord, the one you love is sick. And so here's the basis of that plan. Here's what they are thinking to themselves. If we tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick, then Jesus will heal Lazarus. That's their plan. And clearly, Lazarus doesn't have just a common cold. In fact, the fact that they, they send Jesus this message implies that Lazarus is really sick. We might even say COVID sick. He's on a ventilator. He's in the hospital. Death is hanging over him. And so with the shadow of death hanging over their brother, it's obvious that these two sisters expect Jesus to do something about it. Why? Because the sisters, as they emphasize, the one who is sick is the one who Jesus loves. And we don't know exactly what Mary and Martha expected Jesus to do. 
But they do know that Jesus has healed people in the past. They, they know Jesus has even healed strangers. And Lazarus is no stranger. They are certainly no strangers to Jesus. And so they expect Jesus. Surely he loves us. He must do something. He will heal our brother. And when Jesus gets the message that Lazarus is sick, he responds in a couple of just head-scratching ways. First, Jesus says in verse 4, look at it. This illness does not lead to death. We're like, okay, that's good. We're, We're thankful for that, right? But then we find out 10 verses later that Lazarus is dead. And then second, John tells us in verses 5 and 6, now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. And so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. What? That doesn't make any sense at all. If Jesus loved them, he would have left right away, right? Isn't that the logical thinking here? So why wait two days? Well, at first glance, Jesus' response, it is baffling. It is puzzling, to say the least. Notice this, and you notice Jesus delayed his coming for two days, but he did so for a reason. He did so for the glory of God and for the love of this family. Jesus states the purpose of Lazarus' sickness in verse 4. Look at it. It says, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And that sounds really good, does it not? In fact, it sounds awesome on the surface. But what kind of comfort is that? When somebody's dying. Or somebody is already dead. Well, for believers in Jesus Christ, let me tell you, there's actually great comfort in those words. It means nothing happens by chance. It means nothing is without purpose in this life, whether it is sorrow, sickness, or death. Nothing happens to you that God does not permit for a reason. You will encounter no situation in life in which God cannot be glorified in it and through it. It doesn't matter if it's an impossible boss, a loveless marriage, a dysfunctional family, a crushing medical bill. Listen, God can be glorified in every situation that we face in this life. But why? you got to ask the question, why does Jesus wait two days before going to Bethany? How? How is that even loving? Because Jesus wants to do something here. Jesus, he wanted to reveal God's glory to these two sisters by demonstrating his power over death. And so the way that Jesus, get this, the way that Jesus shows his love to these two sisters The way that he loves these two sisters is by showing them now his glory, and that glory would be most seen by allowing Lazarus to die and these sisters to go through grief. To say it another way, Jesus' delay here was a delay of love, and it was a delay of purpose. And even when our plans fell, even when we don't have all the answers to the Lord's delays in our life, that does not mean that Jesus doesn't love you. He does. What are these, what do we do in those moments, though? Listen, we learn and we try 
and we cry out to God for the grace to do so, but we trust in the God's sovereign love for us. We don't base our assurance of God's love on our circumstances. We certainly don't base our assurance of God's love even on our feelings. We need to then, in those moments especially, let the truth shape our emotions, not the, our emotions, the truth. And this encounter shows that God's glory and his love for you, they are not at odds with one another. And so resist the temptation to pit these two things against each other. Listen, God's glory is chiefly displayed in his love for his people. After two days, Jesus finally then decides to go visit Lazarus in Bethany in Judea, which is about two miles near Jerusalem. But his disciples aren't too keen on that idea. And for good reason. We find out that the disciples actually try to remind Jesus of this in verse 8 when they say, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? In other words, here's the disciples, and they're thinking, "Uh, Lord, are you forgetting something here? Don't you think getting that close again to Jerusalem is a bad idea? I don't think we should travel that way again. But Jesus knows what he, these disciples don't. He knows that he only has so much time left to do his father's work. And so now he responds to these disciples with a metaphor in verses 9 and 10 where he says, Are there not 12 hours in a day? And if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now, Just FYI there, that is Jesus' way to subtly and yet sweetly rebuke his disciples. That's what he's doing by saying that. In other words, Jesus is kind of saying, thank you for your concern, guys, but I have nothing to worry about. Why? Because I am the light of the world, and the light won't be darkened until the time runs out. I've still got time to do the Father's work, and i got work to do here. I'm going to display... My power over death in order to display the glory of God. And so Jesus lets the disciples know why he now wants to go to Judea in verse 11. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples immediately shoot back in verse 12. Lord, if he's fallen asleep, will he recover? And John tells us in verse 13, now Jesus has spoken of his death. But they, that is the disciples, thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. See, the disciples still don't get it. At this point in the encounter, they just don't get it. They think Jesus is going to take a two-day walk just to wake Lazarus up from a nap. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Who here takes a two-day walk just to wake up a friend? Nobody would do that in their right mind. And so Jesus tells them plainly now, verses 14 and 15, Lazarus has died. And then notice what else he says. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Let us go to him. And then Thomas, that one disciple we're familiar with, he pipes up and says in verse 15, let us also go that we may die with him. Now Thomas reflects some great devotion right there in that statement but also a whole lot lot of lack of understanding. You see, Thomas didn't comprehend what Jesus had just said earlier in verses 9 through 10, that Jesus was not going to die just yet. Now, we probably need to stop and answer a question here. And that is, why 
does Jesus call death sleep? That's interesting. Why does he do that? Well, notice this. Jesus is showing us a different perspective on death. You see, the disciples fear death. They see death as the ultimate winner. It's why they don't want to go back to Judea near Jerusalem in the first place. But Jesus sees death much differently than the disciples do. You see, for the believer in Jesus Christ, death is no worse than sleep. And there's no reason to fear sleep. In fact, most of us here, we actually like sleep. It's our friend. We don't fear sleep. We enjoy sleep. We want to take a nap. We want to go to bed at night. We want our eight hours of beauty rest. You name it. And so this is the reason that Jesus can say that he's glad he waited for Lazarus to die. It's not because he doesn't love Lazarus. It's because he knows that death is powerless before him. In fact, it is no harder for Jesus to awaken Lazarus from the dead than for you to awaken your child from bed. Well, maybe on the other hand, some of you parents will think you never had to wake up my kid. Here's the point. Jesus can wake Lazarus up from the dead because he, as he will tell us here in a moment, he is the resurrection and the life. You see, Lazarus' resurrection is simply a, a preview of our resurrection in Christ where death will be like sleeping and then waking up in glory. Here's the point. When our plans fell, and by the way, our plans fell all the time, do they not? Our plans fell all the time, and when they do, it oftentimes it hurts. There is pain when our plans fell, just like for Mary and Martha here. But Jesus still loves us. We need to embrace that truth. We need to hang on to that truth. These two sisters, let me tell you, they had a plan to save their brother, but Jesus delayed and Lazarus died, but that didn't mean Jesus loved, didn't love them. He did. And that brings us to the second point in this encounter. When our pain is real, Jesus truly cares. He truly cares when our pain is real. By this time, by the time Jesus arrives in Bethany of Judea, Lazarus, we are told, has been dead, according to verse 17. How many days? Four days. He's been dead four days. And that's very significant. That is not by accident that that John clues us into that. It's rather important because after four days, let me tell you, there is no doubt about it that Lazarus is what? He's dead. In fact, in that day and time, Jewish rabbis actually believed that for the first three days after death, the soul would just kind of hover around the body, seeking to re-enter the body. But on the fourth day, the soul then goes away. And so in their minds, in that culture, there is a finality to death on the fourth day. Day. This also means all hope is gone as well. Lazarus is really dead. And since Lazarus is really dead, that also means the sister's pain is very much real. And as they mourn now their brother's death, 
it says in verse 19, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So get the picture here. These two sisters are grieving. They are stricken with sorrow and pain and heartache. And some of you know what that is like even here in the last two years because perhaps you have lost a loved one just related to COVID. Or perhaps some other disease like cancer, a heart attack, maybe a sudden accident, whatever the case may be. They are grieving and they're being consoled here. They are mourning over the death of their brother. But what I want you to now see with me here is how Jesus responds to this. I want you to see his ministry to these two sisters because when our pain is real, Jesus shows that he truly cares and he does so with truth and his tears. Notice his ministry to these two sisters. We first find the ministry of truth where Jesus speaks these this profound truth to Martha. Why? Why does Jesus speak truth to her? Because in our sorrow, we need truth. Because in our sorrows, oftentimes, our minds are often busy and clouded. And when Jesus arrived in Bethany, the two sisters each responded in accordance with their character. Notice this in verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming. She went out and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. You see, Martha is the doer of the two sisters. She's the one who, who earlier on when Jesus visited Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, she's the one who hustled to put dinner on the table for Jesus and, and some of the guests. So Martha's the doer. And so Martha, again, she hurries out to meet Jesus. And I just love this about Martha. She is now brutally honest with Jesus when she says in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And there's truth in that statement. You see, Martha had a plan, folks. She sent word to Jesus. He could have healed Lazarus. But he did not come in time. You see, Martha, at this point in the encounter, she has the same problem we often have. God, where were you? God, if you would have intervened, you could have fixed my problem. You could have fixed this. Why didn't you come, God? And I get it. Listen, when someone dies, there's always the if only. The if only. If only God had done this. If only God had done that. This death could have been prevented. But notice what else Martha says in verse 22. Do not miss this. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And so although she expresses her regret that Jesus didn't come sooner, she still expresses great faith in Jesus. She doesn't expect Jesus to necessarily raise Lazarus from the dead right then and there, but she's still confident that Jesus can do something. And then Jesus responds with a, a very simple statement, but oh, how profound it is in verse 23. He says to her, your brother will rise again. Woohoo! Amen, right? Your brother will rise again. Now, you got to understand, Martha... She knows the Old Testament. 
She understands God's promise that, that this life that, that we're so familiar with, that we touch and we see with our eyes, this life, it is not all there is. She knows the grave is not the end. And so she acknowledges to Jesus in verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus here, let me tell you, he's talking about something even bigger, even more remarkable now when he says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, you got to let that sink in for a moment because that is mind-boggling what Jesus says there because Jesus is not saying, I can resurrect people and I have life. No, he says, I am resurrection and I am life. And so what Jesus is doing, he's moving Martha from just this general belief in the final resurrection to a very personal belief in himself as the only one with the power over death. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, I hold the keys of life and death. I have the power to raise the dead because I am resurrection. I am life. And then Jesus makes a promise that goes way beyond what he will do for Lazarus in verse 26. Look at it. He then says, whoever believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And so what Jesus will do for Lazarus here in a moment, as we will see, it proves that he has the power to keep this very promise that he makes in verse 26, that those who believe, though they will die physically, will ultimately never die, but will enjoy eternal life forever. Jesus asked Martha, point blank in verse 26, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And Martha confesses in verse 27, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Listen, as Christ followers, as believers in Christ, as Christians, we now live, and I hope that is you today, this morning, we live with great hope in this very truth. We hope in Jesus Christ. And like Martha, we believe that he is the Son of God who came into the world to rescue us from death and hell. Now, this ministry of truth, it's what Martha needed most in the pain of Lazarus' death. You say, why? Because when you're dealing with grief, It's so easy to doubt, to doubt truth and to specifically doubt the truth about God, the truth about Jesus Christ, and even more specifically, to doubt the truth that he loves you and cares for you. And so Jesus, in his ministry to this grieving sister, ministers with profound truth, And so allow this encounter to remind you to treasure the truth of Jesus Christ in hard times. He cares for you as the resurrection and the life. And it's interesting to note that how Jesus ministered to Martha is very, very different than how he will next minister to Mary. And yet both are meaningful and powerful. Jesus showed he cared for Martha with truth, and he will now show that he cares for Mary with tears. And now we find this, where Jesus grieves personally 
with Mary with his own tears. After Martha responds with faith, she now runs back to the house and finds Mary who is paralyzed with grief. Listen, Mary's in the house and she's grieving. She can't eat. She can't sleep. All she can do in this moment of death is mourn. And so what Mary needs most is not someone to now speak truth to her, but someone to shed tears with her. And Martha tells Mary in verse 28, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And there is just something tender about those words. He's calling for you. In other words, Jesus is calling for you. And that suddenly gives Mary enough strength to get up and run out of the house and run to meet Jesus, according to verse 29. And John tells us in verse 30, Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. And then notice what happens when Mary sees Jesus in verse 32. She fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Does that ring a bell? Deja vu? Mary says the exact same thing to Jesus that her sister Martha said. In fact, it kind of makes you wonder how many times these sisters talked about this. How many times did they, they say in their grief, if only Jesus had come, if only he had been here, our brother would not have died. I think they, they had that conversation several times before Jesus came. And they're talking about it. They're grieving with one another. They are in pain. If Jesus would, just would have come, because that was their plan. And they were sure if they just told Jesus about their plan, that he would come and heal Lazarus, but he didn't. Lazarus died, and now they are grieving. But when our pain is real, listen, Jesus truly cares. And the next two verses show the depth and the passion of his compassion. The most remarkable part is that Jesus knows, though, what he's going to do here in a few minutes, it's going to take away their sorrow and their pain. But before he fixes the problem, notice this, he joins them in their pain. He enters their grief before he exiles it. Notice Jesus' emotions in verse 33. It says, when Jesus saw her, that is Mary, weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. This is Jesus. This is the Son of God. In the emotions that he is showing here, it is strong and deep. In fact, the Greek word here for, for deeply moved, it was used to describe the, the snorting of horses. And when used to describe human emotion, it means an outburst of anger. And so it's clear here that Jesus is outraged in his spirit. He is greatly troubled and moved within. When Jesus sees Mary weeping and all the people weeping with her, he is snorting with anger. You say, why? Because Jesus is expressing his anger at sin 
and sickness and death and the grief that it causes us. In this moment, Jesus here, he feels the misery of the entire human race. And he now burns with rage against death, what Paul calls the last enemy to be abolished. Isn't this what we feel in the face of death? Isn't this something that you have felt in the face of death? Perhaps even here in the last two years, haven't we felt this this outrage at disease and death? If you've ever walked out of a hospital and said, I hate cancer. I hate death. Why is it here? Why does it have to take the one I love? Then you know the emotions that Jesus is feeling and these sisters are feeling. But there were others. Jesus now asked in verse 34, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And notice Jesus' response in verse 35. What did Jesus do? It says Jesus wept. Verse 35 is the shortest verse in all of the Bible, and yet it's one of the most profound verses in all the Bible. Because even though Jesus has the power over death, he also weeps at the graveside with his friends. In fact, that Greek term there, Jesus wept, it means he literally burst into tears. He couldn't control himself with his emotion and just burst into tears here which tells us that Jesus is not distant. Jesus is not detached. Jesus weeps with those who weep. Why? Because he loves us and he cares for us. Some of the people who saw Jesus do this even said in verse 36, see how he loved them. And they got it right. Jesus loved Lazarus. Jesus loved Mary and Martha. His weeping here proves that when our pain is real, he truly cares. But there were others in this encounter with a much different reaction. In fact, they scoffed about all this in verse 37. They say to themselves, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Now, let's just step back and be honest here, because that's the question we always ask, is it not? We are no different than these people. When our plans fail and they don't go right, grief enters into our life, somebody dies, do we not also ask, why? Why, why, why? Why would God choose to heal one person but not another? Why would God heal him and not her? Why would God heal that person but not my loved one? And that's kind of what these people are asking. And they are right on one level. Jesus could have kept Lazarus from dying, but they don't know the purposes of God. You see, they don't understand that God doesn't always do things the way people think he should or even when he should, but we still trust him nonetheless. Listen, what do you need when your plans fail and our pain is real? Listen, you need a Savior who still loves you. In the times of grief, in pain, of plans failing, you need a Savior who truly cares, a Savior who will speak truth to you, a Savior who sheds tears with you. But if all Jesus did is speak truth to you and weep with you, then Jesus would not be much of a Savior. We need a Savior with power. We need a Savior 
who now rules and reigns like Jesus Christ does. And so when promises seem hopeless, that's exactly who we have in Jesus. He reigns and he rules. After entering Martha and Mary's grief, Jesus now moves to end it, to wipe it out. But this miracle was about something much bigger than removing their grief. This miracle was about the power of Jesus over death in order to glorify God the Father. John writes in verse 28, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus, once again, he snorts in rage and anger over sin and death. It's almost like he's getting ready for battle now against death. So notice Jesus' resurrection of Lazarus. But before he raises Lazarus from the dead, Jesus has to remind Martha of his promise. When she had given up all hope for Lazarus. We see this in verse 39 when Jesus says, take away the stone. And Martha shoots back in verse 39, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he's been dead four days. Now I can understand Martha's concern here. I can understand her panic a little bit. But she's forgotten what Jesus promised back in verse 23. Your brother will rise again. But after four days in the grave, let me tell you, that promise now seemed hopeless. And so what does Jesus do? He doesn't rebuke Martha. He lovingly reminds Martha in verse 40, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Oh, that is so tender, so beautiful. And I just imagine the crowd is now silent. They're at the tomb of Lazarus. The men... Step forward to take away the stone, and then Jesus prays. In verses 41, he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And then comes the climactic moment in the story where Jesus demonstrates his power over death by raising Lazarus from the dead. And I can just imagine Jesus staring into that dark cave. Everyone else is kind of trying to peek in and peer into the cave as well. And then Jesus cries out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! In fact, it's been said that if Jesus didn't call out the name Lazarus, he would have emptied the whole graveyard. But John simply tells us in verse 44, the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And there you have it. It's a beautiful encounter. It's a beautiful story. In fact, it seems that so much more should be said. Why so few words about this miraculous resurrection of Lazarus? Because if Jesus really is the resurrection, if he really is the life, then this wasn't a fair fight. Listen, the outcome here had already been decided long ago. It was a mismatch the moment Jesus was born. In fact, ten chapters later here in the book of John, we read about another resurrection as big as this one, Lazarus' resurrection. That one, ten chapters later, is even bigger In other words, Lazarus' resurrection is the first blow, and then Jesus' own resurrection is like the knockout punch. This encounter here 
It shows us that if Jesus could conquer death for Lazarus, then he could conquer death for all of us here this morning. That's the meaning of Jesus' resurrection, which is this encounter in John 11 points us to. Look again what Jesus says in verse 25 and 26. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I am the way that anyone and everyone can find victory over death. In other words, I was raised for you. And there are two ways that this is true. First, when you die, you can be raised up to life. That's what Jesus means when he says, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And that there, it points to our bodily resurrection over death. And so death will not have the last word, even when you die physically. But get this, Jesus is also saying that you don't have to wait until you die to enjoy and to experience this resurrection life that Jesus is talking about here. He points to a resurrection that can be yours now. He says, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. This resurrection isn't just a future hope. It is a present reality. His resurrection life, in other words, can be at work in your life now. That's what Paul, that's what he was talking about in Galatians 2.20 when Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. What Christ? The resurrected Christ lives in him. But all of this hinges on that one vital question that Jesus asked Martha. And he asked us here this morning. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? That is the supreme question of Easter. Do you believe this? Not just that Jesus was raised up, but that he was raised up for you. He was raised up to give you new life now and hope beyond the grave. Do you believe this? In other words, do you put your faith and trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ? Listen, that is the single most important question that you can answer in light of this encounter. In fact, one of the reasons we have this encounter recorded for us in John It's because this encounter, this this resurrection of Lazarus, it, it demonstrates for us the reason to believe in Jesus Christ. John tells us after this encounter in verse 45 that many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Why? Because they saw this miraculous resurrection of Lazarus. Do you believe in him? That is, do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life for you? With your heads bowed. Man, I I hope this encounter grips your heart. I, I pray that what we have seen here penetrates your heart and your mind. And if you have yet to respond to Jesus Christ in saving faith, that that you are ready to do so now, that you are ready to cry out to God and ask him to save you. I mean, you can do that right where you're seated. You can can pray in the quietness of your own heart something like this. It's in your notes. 
Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus is the Savior who died to pay the penalty for my sin and rose again. I believe he is the resurrection and the life. And I want to turn from my sins and follow you. Please forgive me and save me. I receive your son Jesus by faith as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.